If you're wearing pink, it's probably because it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Where there have been great advances in diagnosing and treating breast cancer, there are still many unanswered questions about the most invasive, aggressive types of breast cancer. On this episode of CTSI Discovery Radio, we'll discuss new findings inside the cancer cells themselves that may hold the key to treating breast cancer with personalized medicine for each patient. Good day, Southeast Wisconsin. You're listening to CTSI Discovery Radio, and I'm David Todd, your host for the next half an hour. On this program, we'll be talking about new advances in treating breast cancer and new ways to target cancer in the body. Just ahead, we'll sit down with a scientist whose research is getting attention here in our state and across the country. But first, you should know a little bit more about the Clinical and Translational Science Award, or CTSA. It is a multi-million dollar grant that goes to medical schools to foster better, faster, and more cost-effective treatments through collaborating with other researchers, scientists, and clinicians. Only 62 medical schools in the country receive the award, and the Medical College of Wisconsin and the CTSI partners are one of them. But not all CTAs are the same, as we found out from Dr. Harry Greenberg at Stanford University in California. Um, I'm calling this morning because I'd like to give you a chance at the microphone to tell us what you are doing with your CTSA at Stanford and Spectrum. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, what you're doing or what kind of research that you are doing now that wasn't possible before the Clinical and Translational Science Award? Sure. Um, Of course, that that could be a very long um, answer, (laughs) but I'll try to be brief. We've had now a, a CTSA. We first got funded in 2008 and then refunded quite recently. At Stanford, our CTSA has really been transformative. And I think what many people have said about CTSAs is is that if you've seen one CTSA, you've seen one CTSA. The Stanford culture, for, for a very long time, Stanford and Stanford School of Medicine has been an extremely research intensive medical school with a heavy focus on basic research, and actually I would say a heavy focus on the most basic research. The CTSA has helped us um, change the culture to some level to realize that the full power of basic discovery isn't realized until some of those discoveries, the discoveries that are useful, can be translated into clinical medicine. And the CTSA and the funding that it has given us has enabled that. So one, it has helped us expand our um, educational focus on giving young people the tools to associate basic discovery with um, clinical outcomes or prevention. Two, Stanford has always been a place where there has been an emphasis on innovation, and now we have a very active and growing focus on innovation in the clinical and translational research arena. We have always had at Stanford a a sizable community that is actually interested in what I might call population health. That is, how does one, rather than personalize individual medicine, how does one improve um, the health of populations? And the CTSA has enabled us to have resources to bring that community together in a more focused way. And then finally, the new um, CTSAs, which, as you know, have replaced the GCRCs and the rules around the CTSA, 
has enabled us to what I would say is more democratize our clinical translational research units and make the resources more broadly available. Well, that's excellent. Um, I love, too, that uh, you've uh, called your CTSA Spectrum, um, standing for the Stanford Center for Clinical and Translational Research and Education. The CTSAs, as you know, are supposed to cover the spectrum of research, and we thought that Spectrum was a nice word that embodied that. Um, it also is a nice visual. Sounds very innovative, Dr. Greenberg. Thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. Here at the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin, we have eight partners for our CTSA, including the Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the VA Medical Center, Children's Hospital, Blood Center of Wisconsin, and Frederick and the Medical College. So, to tell you more about our CTSI, we turn to the president of Frederick Hospital, Kathy Buck. On our last program, Milwaukee's Commissioner of Health, Bevan Baker, said that the collaborations in team science, like those built around CTSI, are the way of the future and the future of public health. How do you see Frederick Hospital's role in this eight-member consortium long-term? That is to ask, what is your best hope for the CTSI and for Frederick? So partnerships like the CTSI do represent the future. It's exactly what academic medical centers should be doing. It's an important effort for Frederick and the Medical College of Wisconsin. So the CTSI actually harnesses the collective strengths of all partners, and it unites us around the goal of advancing the health of the communities where we live and where we work, and that too is central to the mission of Frederick and the Medical College. We also know that translational research has been a cornerstone of medical progress. And as we look to the future, the very powerful database that the CTSI has will help in moving the research out of the laboratory and closer to the bedside. So about a year ago, we opened the Translational Research Unit at Frederick the Medical College Cancer Center. It's one of only a few in the nation, and it has the capacity to conduct early phase cancer clinical trials in dedicated space with experienced specialized research staff. We conduct early phase trials among small patient groups, which help doctors to better understand. So Kathy, how do you see CTSI going forward in the future? How do you see the way that we attack team science and collaboration working uh, to our benefit going forward? So healthcare in this country is undergoing tremendous change, shifting toward care that's more coordinated and more personalized. We have a ways to go, but essentially that's the final goal. Genomic therapies and individually designed treatments are going to change the way healthcare is delivered. Databases and information analysis is going to be key to understanding how risk factors for certain diseases affect certain populations and how those factors can be managed to improve health. So in the end, there's going to be tremendous opportunities for organizations like the CTSI. And my best hope for the health care of tomorrow is that we achieve high quality at a lower cost. And my best hope for the CTSI is that it harnesses its power to help get us there. Thank you for sharing your vision, Kathy, and thank you for the time. Our next guest received a Champion in Women's Health Award from the Wisconsin Women's Health Foundation in May of 2013. Her research has been supported by the National Cancer Institute, as well as the Frederick and Medical College. Dr. Carol Williams is currently studying the biomechanics of cancer cells and how to manipulate them to find better treatments for the most severe cases of breast cancer. 
I caught up with Dr. Williams right after the Women's Health Seminar on this exciting new research. Dr. Williams, can you explain to our listeners the idea behind your research to inhibit the metastases or spreading of cancer cells in the body? specifically research on breast cancer. And metastasis really is the biggest problem in breast cancer because the problem is that it causes tumors to form throughout the body. And if we could just keep the cancer cells from not metastasizing, keep the cancer cells in the primary tumor in the breast, we could then surgically remove that breast tumor and thus have a much better chance of curing the patient. And the problem is, is that these cancer cells will break away from the tumor in the breast, get into the bloodstream, and then spread throughout the body. So that's metastasis. So what we're doing in my research is we're really trying to stop cells from detaching from each other, stop the cancer cells from detaching from that tumor in the breast because if we can stop them from detaching from the tumor in the breast they'll stay in the breast and as I said we could then surgically remove the tumor. What's really exciting is that we recently discovered a previously unsuspected mechanism that tumor cells use to attach themselves to each other. And no one had ever thought that this mechanism occurred. And so we actually somewhat found this by accident, but we really were looking at identifying ways that cells attach to each other. And by identifying this way that the cancer cells specifically attach to each other, we identified a receptor on the surface of the cancer cells that can be targeted with drugs to control the attachment of a cancer cell to other cancer cells in the tumor. And this leads to a really exciting idea that we could give patients drugs targeting these receptors that regulate the attachment of the cancer cells, stop the cancer cells from detaching from the primary tumor, stop them from entering the bloodstream, and then stopping metastasis. So this is what we're doing with our research, and it's, it's generated a whole new area of research for us because we had not expected these receptors on the surface to control the cell-cell adhesion, these interactions as we've discovered. So it's a, a very exciting finding. So, in the uh, treatments and the therapeutics for breast cancer, I know that um, there's an extremely aggressive form of breast cancer called triple negative breast cancer that um, doctors have very few options to, um, uh, to give treatment. Um, is this an area where um, this research could have some potential new therapies for those individuals? Oh, great question. That's, that's exactly the case. And that leads us kind of to this concept of personalized medicine. And personalized medicine is where we tailor the therapeutic treatment specifically for each individual patient's tumor. And one of the things that is done in personalized uh, treatment is we look at the receptors that are on the surface of a patient's tumor. And that's where we get into triple negative breast cancer. So uh, what scientists and clinicians working together have found over the years is that there are certain receptors on the surface of breast cancer cells that can be targeted by specific drugs. And the three different receptors that are major targets of drugs in breast cancer are the estrogen receptor, the progesterone receptor, and the HER2 receptor. And now, because of the research of clinicians and scientists together, we have drugs that target each of those receptors, which is wonderful and they're very effective. The unfortunate thing is that there are some patients who have tumors that don't express or don't make 
any of those receptors. And those are called the triple negative breast cancers because they're negative for all three of those receptors. So we don't have a uh, good uh, treatment using the known drugs right now, but what's exciting is, again, because we have personalized medicine, because we can identify which patients should be treated with which drugs, this has led investigators to really focus on how can we treat triple negative breast cancer. And a great example, we now have uh, a new drugs available called PERP inhibitors, which can be used to treat uh, patients with triple negative cancer. But I want to also emphasize that we even have more options today because we've gotten so much more sophisticated in our understanding of breast cancer biology. And uh, for example, here at the medical college, uh, we have this interdisciplinary team of researchers from multiple departments, the Department of Biophysics, Pharmacology and Toxicology, Radiology and Medicine, who are working together to study triple negative breast cancer as well as other forms of cancer in a whole new way. And one of the ways we're looking at it is the study of bioenergetics. This is a whole new field. It's rapidly expanding. Investigators all over the U.S. are interested in it. And what it is, the story is, is that because cancer cells grow so rapidly, they really need to have a lot of nutrients and convert those nutrients into energy. Just as a marathon runner needs to have a lot of nutrients and need a lot of food and convert that into right. energy. But it turns out that uh, researchers here at the medical college and elsewhere have discovered that the breast cancer cells convert their nutrients into energy by a really unusual mechanism. And we're now exploiting this unusual mechanism to specifically deplete the energy reserves of the breast cancer cells without hurting normal tissue. And that's what's so exciting because this gives us a very specific way of targeting the breast cancer cells with having very few toxic side effects to the normal tissues for the patient. And this is a big problem for uh, patients getting chemotherapy, radiology, uh, radiation therapy, et cetera. So does that mean that the new therapeutics and the new treatments that are coming up won't be so hard on the body, that patients won't have that downtime of chemotherapy and the sickness and the discomfort? That's certainly the aim. That's exactly where all of the current treatments are going because we realize that um, uh, what's been very good is we have prolong the survivorship of patients with breast cancer, which is such a wonderful, wonderful thing to be doing. But we also want to give them a good quality of life as we prolong their survivorship. And so that's diminishing the side effects, et cetera. And so that really is an aim. And that's exactly the goal of the CTSI, is to have people working interdisciplinary to have their expertise apply to the same problem. So it's looked at a different way. So that's excellent. That's really, really leading towards um, the team science approach and and that's so exciting. Yeah, I have to tell you that's one of the great things about being here at the medical college. Um, I've been at multiple institutions uh, throughout the U.S. and uh, some very prestigious ones and honestly I have never been in such a collaborative, positive, inner active uh, uh, group of researchers uh, and clinicians compared to those that I found here. They are just, it's wonderful. We are able to really address questions that we could not address individually. Well, Dr. Williams, this being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, um, I'm hoping that we are giving lots of hope to people that either survive breast cancer or have it in their family. And I know a lot of people are looking forward to um, the new therapies and new treatments that are coming out of the research you're doing. 
thanks so much. Thank you. It was a real pleasure talking with you. As I said earlier, in May of 2013, Dr. Williams received a Champion in Women's Health Award from the Wisconsin Women's Health Foundation. The foundation started by former Wisconsin First Lady Sue Ann Thompson, a survivor herself. Sue Ann, can you tell me, how did you start the Wisconsin Women's Health Foundation? How did I start it? Yes. Well, you obviously uh, got a very personal story that goes with this. I do, I do, because I was First Lady at the time uh, when I got breast cancer. I was also teaching uh, full-time in the community from which we came. Um, and it was, of course, uh, when you hear the word uh, cancer, no matter where it is, it's very shocking. But being First Lady, I had lots of opportunities to make it um, known more. Uh, you know, we have, there are so many things that uh, women need, uh, especially in the rural areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really the core reason that I started the foundation, because as I traveled uh, as First Lady in 1990s, after my recovery from breast cancer, I heard the personal stories of women all over this great state. And it was very troubling for me to see how few resources women in some rural areas had access to. And even more troubling was the lack of understanding that it is okay and you know, actually vital to be a good advocate for your own health. And we know that when women have access to resources and information, they can prepare healthy meals, make appropriate doctor appointments for themselves and family members. They also, a lot of them, uh, coordinate care for aging parents. They also assure compliance with taking medications. And as you know, some of us even nag our husbands to see (laughs) the doctor now and then. You know, what does our staff do to make sure there are healthy women in rural areas? Yeah. Well, we offer a number of programs statewide. Tell me about some Some of the ones that address the rural issues. Some are direct service for specific women, and others are education for health care providers. So, and that goes across the state, rural as well as the urban areas. For example, our first breath program, uh, the staff goes around the state training prenatal care providers on how to help pregnant women quit smoking within the context of their existing prenatal care appointments. And that program is called the First Breath Program, which has, uh, to date, served over well over 15,000 women since it started in 2000. Wow, that's amazing. And we also work with prenatal care providers in 60 counties. So you see, that covers both rural and urban areas. And people yeah. can get more information on that by going to your website, correct? www.whf.org. Exactly. Thank you for joining us today. You bet, and thank you for getting the word out to women. We really appreciate it. But there are still women who are not getting the information they need or access to the care. In fact, one ethnic group has the worst five-year survival rate of any population, American Indian women. So we sat down with Carol Cameron of the White Earth Tribe to hear how the Wisconsin Pink Shawl Initiative is serving all 11 of Wisconsin American Indian tribes. Uh, Carol, thanks for inviting us to the Southeast Wisconsin offices of the Oneida Tribe. Oh, you're very welcome. We're happy to have you here today. Um, I do want to ask, why the Pink Shawl Initiative? Why did you need to uh, create an initiative to support women uh, in the Native American community? 
um, who might be uh, dealing with breast cancer or concerned about uh, potentially being diagnosed. I had served on the Indian Summer Festivals Board for about 18 years. And um, during that time, there w actually were four of us that were diagnosed with breast cancer. In a board of 18 women, that's a large amount compared to the total population within that board. So we, found, we thought, you know what, this is maybe something that we need to start talking about in our population. Most people don't. Uh, most, you know, many of the, when you go to a doctor's office, you see brochures, you see brochures with photographs of women that don't look exactly like you, and I don't think you take it seriously that this could be affecting your population. So um, four of, uh, the four of the women that uh, were in, on the board of directors, we decided that, you know what, Maybe we could make some awareness just even at the festival alone if we were to participate in our grand entry with pink shawls uh, because that is a traditional, um, a traditional item that would be carried into, into a powwow arena. And so we um, decided that the first year that we had gotten started that the community women would make pink shawls and participate in 2007 at the Indian Summer Festivals. So was that really just an uh, initial awareness event to have the pink shawls there? Yes, absolutely. It was just an initial awareness. Um, at that time, uh, one of the members that was uh, diagnosed was also an ABCD after breast cancer diagnosis member. And um, during that time, uh, Melody Wilson, who was the founder of that organization, had announced that she was um, she had a reoccurrence in her breast cancer. And so during that event, we actually invited Melody to address the women at the powwow. We presented her with a shawl and um, just told the, the whole group at the festival that uh, how important this is, that we really need to be aware, uh, to talk to our, our sisters, our aunts, our grandmothers, mothers, and teach our daughters that this is something that they should be aware of. Do you think there's a specific reason why there is not the awareness in the Native American population? I think probably because, uh, first of all, we have a very transient population. Many people move from one location to another, to the reservation, off reservation, back and forth, back and forth. Many don't carry insurance, so they may not be seen at a regular provider on a regular basis where somebody could, you know, encourage them to go and have screenings. Um, and then it's just a lack of education. So now that the Pink Shell Initiative is up and running, what does it do and how does it interface with uh, the population? Well, um, our major focus is really doing outreach tables throughout the community. Uh, we participate at various uh, events like we're going to be at today. We also do uh, the various powwows because we feel as though we have a face-to-face -face opportunity to talk to women and uh, stress the importance of getting screened. Um, and then we are also have a program where we've gone to the reservations and have educated women. Carol, thank you so much for being on the front lines of the uh, fight uh, to make uh, breast cancer awareness known in the Native American community. We are happy to be here. I mean, and we, are, we feel very strongly that we need to educate more and, like I say, to educate our daughters, our younger women, so that they're aware of, of these things. Carol, thanks for having us. I appreciate the time. Not a problem. We look forward to seeing you again. The American Cancer Society provides support for survivors and their families, but it also advocates for government funding of research and assistance for the underserved and underinsured. Sarah Solly is with the American Cancer Society's Cancer Action Network. Sarah, can you tell me why it's important to answer calls to action from organizations like the American Cancer Society? 
Well, the American Cancer Society has our advocacy affiliate, the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network, and we support evidence-based policy and legislative solutions designed to eliminate cancer as a major health problem. More importantly, though, we train our volunteers to advocate for these legislative solutions um, by sharing their story and reminding lawmakers that they have a role to play in policy solutions around cancer. So I know that, you know, if you sign up for the Cancer Action Network, you know, you get email alerts about the times when, um, you know, the government is voting on certain initiatives or on certain bills. Um, Tell me about, uh, you know, responding to those and why it's so important that, you know, we get an opportunity to make our voices heard. Sure. So as the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network, we engage our volunteers, as you mentioned, through these action alerts uh, when there is an important issue going on. And because we don't influence lawmakers with um, financial contributions, we use our grassroots army or our volunteers to let lawmakers know um, that back in Wisconsin, if it's a federal issue, um, we care about a certain issue, whether it's uh, research funding or colorectal cancer screenings or quality of life uh, legislation. Uh, And so if volunteers take action, lawmakers are hearing from them and uh, hopefully taking note that there are, you know, a lot of people in their state that care about this specific issue. Uh, Sarah, I know one of your successful programs is the Wisconsin and Well Woman Program. How did that come to be? So this is a program that is actually funded jointly by the state and federal government. Um, It is uh, funded through the CDC at the federal level and then through the Wisconsin budget at the state level. Um, We get $3 million from the CDC and $2.2 million annually um, from Wisconsin to fund this program. It's a program that... uh, it's designed to ensure that underinsured or uninsured women in Wisconsin between the ages of 40 and 64 have access to life-saving breast and cervical cancer screenings. Um, last year, um, and pretty typically annually, about 10,000 women access this program. Um, and the good news about this program and the reason it's such a success is that women diagnosed through the Well Woman program then gain eligibility to comprehensive treatment through state the state Medicaid program. Mm-hmm. And everyone, I hope by now, knows that early state um, early stage breast cancer is almost always treatable so that if you're detecting it early, you can treat it and um, your survival rate is, is much higher than um, if you wait and you aren't getting your, your proper screenings. And you so um, ACS can and our volunteers, this is one of the areas that we might ask them to take action on because every year, you know, the budget comes up and we have to say this is an important program. So our volunteers are in contact during the budget process encouraging policymakers to protect preserve and maintain eligibility for this life-saving program. Sarah, that's awesome. Thanks for that action that you're taking, and thanks for uh, being part of the uh, American Cancer Society Action Network. Thank you so much. This is the part of the program where we play translational trivia. On the phone with us today is Molly Snyder from OnMilwaukee.com. Hi, Molly. Hi. So, I just saw that great story you had on on OnMilwaukee.com for personalized ink, or P-Ink. Can you tell me a little bit about the story? Last Friday uh, was... Key Inc. Milwaukee Day. Actually, the organization is in 12 cities now. It originated last year in New York, and basically it invites women who have had a mastectomy or a double mastectomy to come to one of these 12 cities and have a very ornate tattoo adorned over their mastectomy scars as a way to um, 
invoke healing. It's it's an amazing story. I read it, and, and at the end of the story, too, there's a great video. So I encourage everybody to log on to onwalkie.com and search for p.inc and read this story. All right, you ready to play a little trivia? I am. All right. Um, this is really easy. It's um, three questions of translational trivia. One is a multiple choice. One is a science or fiction. And your answer should be science or fiction. And then the third one is a fill in the blank. All right. All right. Let's start with the first one here. All right. Each year, how many women will be diagnosed with breast cancer? A, one out of five. B, one out of ten. Or C, one in eight. B, one in ten. Nope. It's one in eight. <laughs> oh, fooey. Fooey. But, but I have a feeling you're going to get the next two. I, I, All right. I have faith here. And I should mention we're playing on behalf of our Facebook friend, Jen Jarvie. Question awesome. two is, men can get breast cancer too, science or fiction? Science. That is correct. Although one in eight women are at risk for breast cancer, only one in 1,000 men are at risk for breast cancer. All right, and here's your final one, and this one I'm certain you're going to get. Uh, and this is the fill in the blank. With breast cancer, early screening can blank. Save lives? That's it! <laughs> All right. And you won on behalf of Jen Jarvie, our Facebook friend. All right, Molly. Everybody, log on to onwalkie.com. Check out Molly Snyder's article on P. Inc. And uh, we'll talk to you again, Molly. Thank you. All right, take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. One last item. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month. So make sure to mark your calendars and join us next month when we'll be talking about Alzheimer's disease. Until then, CTSI Discovery Radio is produced by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The show is engineered by Tom Crawford with special thanks to Sandy Everts, Drs. Herman Beats, Carlos De La Pena, and Reza Shakir.